And it's Mark chapter 6. Jesus left that place and came to his hometown. And his disciples followed him. On the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astounded. They said, where did this man get all this? What is this wisdom that has been given to him? What deeds of power are being done by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Then Jesus said to them, Prophets are not without honor except in their hometown and among their own kin and in their own house. And he could no, do no deed of power there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and cured them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Then he went among the villages teaching. He called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He ordered them to take nothing for their journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. He said to them, wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave the place. If any place will not welcome you and they refuse to hear you as you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that all should repent. They cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and cured them. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Like I said, not so much about perfection here. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O oh God, our strength, our rock, and our redeemer. Amen. So today's scripture has Jesus coming off a hat trick of healings. In the chapter before this one, he cast out a legion of unclean spirits. Then a woman suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years was healed by grabbing the hem of his cloak. Then he brought a young girl named Tabitha back from death to life. Jesus is on a roll. Demons cast out, internal bleeding cured, little girl raised from the dead. It was one miracle after another. Boom, 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 look at Jesus go. Suddenly, though, Jesus' hot streak comes to an end. And in the place that you'd least expect it. Nazareth, the place of his birth, Jesus' hometown. We're told that while in Nazareth, Jesus wanders into the local synagogue one Saturday and... <laughs> My notes are upside down. What a day. What a day. Lays down a lesson on God's coming kingdom, God entering into history to set the world right for good. They can't believe how articulate and passionate this guy is. I mean, they've known Jesus from the time he was in diapers. They've seen him as an awkward teenager struggling with acne and drama. And the latest time and the last time they saw him, he was a carpenter, a tradesman. 
Now suddenly this guy is an expert on the scriptures, a prophet, a preacher. This guy comes in and lays it down and says, this is what we got to listen to. I have something to say. And their response is, this guy, little Jesus, Mary's son, we know who this guy is. He's a carpenter. So, yeah, right, Jesus, just sit down. We've got our set speaker for today. And so we're told Jesus couldn't do a deed of power there except for laying his hands on and curing a couple sick people. Right? Jesus, it says, is amazed at their unbelief. In fact, the people of his hometown, the people who know him best. Contrast this, though, with what happens next. Jesus leaves Nazareth. He hops from town to town, teaching. He sends his disciples out to the rest, fans out two by two, equipped with barely anything, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, just sandals, a staff, and a shirt. And they go out, and it is success. It tells us that they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and cured them. Ding, ding, ding. Boom, boom, boom. They're at it again. And I mean, what a difference from Nazareth, right? In the NHL, NBA, CFL, teams have what's called a hometown advantage or home ice advantage if you're watching hockey right now. They're more likely to win at home with the crowd and the cheering. Everybody knows them. Instead, Jesus has a hometown disadvantage. As as soon as he rolls into Nazareth, he hits a slump. Whereas when he and his disciples reach the city limits, it's exorcisms and healings galore. He's a hit among strangers, but among the people who already know him, he runs up against a big brick wall. No luck in his hometown. Now, I venture a guess here. I just want to venture a guess that no one here literally grew up with Jesus in his hometown. Nor anybody grew up in Nazareth in Israel. That's just, I think it's a safe bet, right? But as a culture, we have grown up with Jesus, so to speak. Or Christianity anyway. North America, Europe, these are all places formerly known as Christendom or Christ's dominion. For more than a thousand years, even longer in some places, Christianity has been the dominant religion and culture for better, for worse. Tradition, the Bible, the church have all been huge. They've permeated just about everything from art to literature to TV to ethics and our common calendar. We've grown up as a culture and a society with Jesus. He's very familiar to us, at least as a culture, maybe not individually. We know him quite well. This isn't Jesus' literal hometown, but it has been Christianity's home turf for a real long time. And despite this familiarity 
just like in Nazareth, Jesus can't get much traction here at all. Despite the fact that 55% of Canadians identify as Christian, only about 13% attend a faith community on a regular basis. You can say, we are part of the 13%. Many churches continue to shrink and decline while antipathy and occasional hostility continue to grow. Many of us are like the crowd at the synagogue who take immediate offense at Jesus. One of the most common struggles that some of you have here, some of us have, is the fact that our children and grandchildren, who we brought up and brought to Sunday school every week, now have nothing to do with the church or faith at all. All the while, Christianity continues to grow around the world, especially in Asia and Africa. In fact, Africa is set to have one billion Christians by 2050. It's like that contrast in today's scripture. Jesus has little power among those who know him best, we who know him best, and the unbelief can be astounding. While in unfamiliar places all over the globe, we see disciples marching two by two, winning over villages here, there, and everywhere. It can be worrisome and demoralizing for those of us here who continue to put Jesus at the center of our lives. Why is that? Why is that? In a culture so primed, one that knows Jesus so well, one so shaped by and indebted to the faith, why is there so little uptake and so much unbelief? Part of this, of course, has to do with the past sins of Christians and the church. I don't think it helps any of us to deny that, the church's collusion with the state's assimilation project in residential schools is a very obvious and painfully contemporary example. I mix that in with the experiencing the outright meanness of some believers, and we have ourselves something of a tarnished brand. That is part of it. That is part of it. But there's something more, I think, at play here. The old proverb, familiarity breeds contempt, comes to mind. Being the hometown crowd, like the good people of Nazareth, we are too familiar with a certain idea of who Jesus is, right? Christianity's all about judgment. It's racist. It's sexist. It's homophobic. It's old-fashioned. Silly. It's anti-science. It's all about moral regulation of ourselves, but mostly other people. It's about ratcheting up our guilt and shame and saddling us with impossible demands. It's all about preserving the status quo and just kind of being mean sometimes, right? We figure we have Christianity all figured out. We figure we already know who Jesus is and what he's all about, and we don't like it. It's not appealing, and justly so. And so like the crowd at Nazareth, we can't see anything more, anything different. Our only response can be either offense or simply ignoring We figure we already know who he is and want nothing to do with him or his people. 
but we're wrong. We're wrong, maybe not about the church, maybe not about Christianity, but we are wrong about Jesus. I mean, of course, the faith's been interpreted this way before, and it's been enacted this way before, but this vision is a misconstrual of the essentials of the faith, its essence. And you only need to pay attention to the text itself, texts like this one especially. Are Jesus and co. going around beating up on people? Shaming, condemning? Are they lording power over them? Are they grabbing the levers of government power? No. No. They are healing the sick. They're casting out demons, freeing prisoners of spiritual bondage, and raising them out of physical slavery. Elsewhere, they're feeding multitudes of hungry people, pronouncing forgiveness to sinners, giving hope to the hopeless, and advocating for the oppressed. They're proclaiming good news and calling everyone to repentance, which means a change of mind, turning away from death to life. They are turning water into wine. The ordinary, divine-free experience into a life filled with grace. And if nobody's interested, what do they do? They go like, and then they leave. They move on to the next town. They dust off their feet and go. Like the hometown team of Nazareth, we have this pre-understanding, this deeply set misunderstanding. We think that we already know Jesus. We already got the faith figured out, and it keeps us from the beauty and joy of the faith entirely. We think we got it figured out, but it keeps God at arm's length. So what do we do then? What do we do then? Our culture's unbelief is the kind of nut that Jesus can't seem to crack. And we can't somehow change the culture on a massive scale. I mean, I've tried being on Twitter before. You know, you misunderstand Jesus, right? <laughs> Doesn't really work. <laughs> Mostly because Twitter's the devil. But anyway. <laughs> It can be kind of discouraging. What are we supposed to do in a culture that, like ours, in a world that seems closed to the work of the divine? Well, we can start by, again, to the text. Of course, Jesus doesn't get much traction in his hometown. They take offense at him, and they are amazed, and he's amazed at their unbelief. And it says he's only able to lay his hands on a couple of sick people and cure them. A couple of sick people. Now this sounds like a complete and utter disaster. You know, when you input your stat, United Church stats, two people. Not very impressive. Now this sounds like a disaster, a complete failure, but it says two people are healed. Right? Two people. 
It's hard to see in comparison to the successful second half of our reading, miracles, crowds all over the place, but two people are healed in spite of a whole town's unbelief. Two people find mercy, healing, hope, peace, and joy in spite of unbelief. No matter how familiar and assuming Nazareth is, they can't keep a lid on Jesus. A couple healed people may not seem like very much, but it says that no matter how closed off, no matter how skeptical, no matter how downright hostile a culture may be, it can't stop the healing and liberating power of God. No matter how closed off the culture may be, it can't stop the liberating power of God, even if it's just a couple people. That's a couple people. And really, we know that this is true because it's why we are here today. It's why you're tuning in right now. This community of faith has stories of salvation, stories of healing, hope, and liberation, even within a culture that's closed itself off to its possibilities. Even when we've closed ourselves off to its possibilities, we've been given the strength to keep on the wagon when everything in us begs otherwise. We've encountered the power of forgiveness that's freed us from decades of debilitating guilt. We've stepped onto a solid foundation on which to raise our kids in the face of an uncertain future. Cultivated friendships that have kept us going when we want to quit life altogether in a community where a weekly word of hope delivers us from a pandemic of despair. These are all true statements and stories attached to real people. Even though our culture has closed itself off to the sacred, has shut itself off from the divine, we know otherwise because we have our two people. And then some. We have our two people. And then some. So what are we going to do? What are we supposed to do? Well, simply, we're not going to let it get us down. We may be amazed like Jesus at the unbelief, but we're not going to let it take our focus away. Instead, we're going to modify our measurements accordingly. We're not going to gauge our faithfulness by cultural influence or authority. We're not going to become fixated on the good old days, no matter how good they were, and we're not going to measure our success solely by the size of the crowd, although crowds are great, and if crowds want to come, woohoo, bonus. No! We're going to let ourselves drop our assumptions about God, that we've already let got the faith or Jesus down pat. And we're going to look for God's liberating work person to person to person to person instead. We're going to trust that healing is possible in spite of the mathematical odds. Our lives could be different in spite of cultural antipathy, and we're going to be willing to share the good news of Jesus Christ, whether we end up numbering two or 2,000. That's what we're going to do. Because we know 
that wherever Jesus may go, he's going to find a couple people. And the Holy Spirit's going to bring healing, going to bring life in the full to somebody. It could be me. It could be you. If only we're willing to receive the gift and believe that it's true. That's what we're going to do, my friends. That's what we're going to do. Let us pray. God of grace and mercy, you are alive and active in the world like Christ, a vagabond moving from town to town. You bring love to the loveless, healing to the sick of soul, and hope to those who despair. Whether we close ourselves off from you through stubbornness or misunderstanding, we pray that you open our eyes that we may see you anew. Let us not count our successes by wins and losses, but that by the power of your presence where two or three are gathered in your name. Encourage us by your living word and empower us by your spirit to share your good news without anxiety or worry to a world in such need of healing and hope. We pray all these things in the name of the carpenter, Mary's son, our brother, your son, our savior. Amen. Please stand and sing with me, There is a Balm in Gilead. There is a balm. 